0: Uh, So today we are uh, concluding our series of face-to-face, which is what we've been in in the season of Easter, or we've been looking at some of the encounters that Jesus had face-to-face with his disciples after he rose from the dead. And we're taking a look at those and, and looking at what they were teaching those disciples back in Jesus's day, but also what they teach us and what we can reflect upon and what we can learn and how it changes even our lives. And we look at, at what is known as the ascension of Jesus. This is kind of the last thing we look at in this series is the ascension of Jesus, Jesus ascending into heaven, and he gives one last pep talk, he gives one last speech to his disciples before he ascends up to the right hand of God the Father as we confess in our creeds. Now, if you earlier this week, specifically on Thursday, if you had a really large dinner, really large meal, you may have unintentionally been celebrating the Feast of the Ascension. Uh, Because that day, Thursday of earlier this week, was Ascension Day for Christians around the world. Some of them uh, have set aside worship times for that or or set aside feast times where they celebrate that Jesus— has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And so we're going to reflect upon that passage for this Sunday. Because in this, in Luke 24, we see that before Jesus ascends, he does two significant things. He does two significant things before he ascends to the right hand of God the Father. So the first thing Jesus does First significant thing Jesus does before he uh, leaves this physical world and before he leaves his disciples is he opens their minds. So we just heard a few moments ago from from Luke 24. I want to read a couple verses to you again. Specifically, verses 44 to 46 says this, that, that then he said to them, Jesus to his disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, that was his way of saying the whole Old Testament, which was their Bible at the time. They didn't have the New Testament, just the Old Testament. He says, everything that was written about me must be fulfilled in them. And then he goes on to say that then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Now, this is really significant, what Jesus is doing in this moment, is he is opening his disciples' minds, and they needed that. Because if you've been with us throughout this series, a key and common theme is the disciples are very confused. Like, if you've paid attention week in and week out, um, the disciples, when we see them, as Jesus meets them face to face, he meets them, and they are oftentimes confused and scared and anxious, and they don't know they're up from their down, they're left from their right. That is the state that they are in until Jesus meets them there and kind of sets them straight. And Luke is saying that, that that's the key, is that that's what they needed to have their clarity brought back, to have their vision fixed, to have the puzzle pieces put together for them to understand what was happening, Jesus needed to open their minds. And he did that by, by pointing them back to the Scriptures and saying, hey guys, let me help you understand what all of this is about, and even more than that, let me help you understand what all of your life is about, and even more than that, what the whole world, the entire universe, what it's all about, and the thing that opened them up to understand and to make sense and to erase the confusion and to bring them the clarity was that Jesus said, it's all about me that everything written in scriptures, in order to understand it and to see it clearly, you have to look at it through the lens of who I am and what I've done. In order to understand who you are and, and what's going on in your life, the way to kind of put the pieces together is to view it through the lens of who I am and what I've done for you. And to look at the world and kind of make sense and kind of understand where things are going, you need to look at it through the lens of who I am and what I've done. And that's That is when their minds were opened. When they saw that everything is centered in Jesus. Who he is and what he's done and what he promises. I think about it like this. Um, When I was in middle school, like sixth, seventh grade, um, I still was a hockey player. I still uh, try and play. Um, I think I was a little bit better then. I was a little bit younger. But uh, I would play hockey and I was goalie, for those of you who don't know. And here's the thing you need to have when you were a goalie for any sport, but specifically hockey. You need to have good eyesight, right? You need to be able to see. And, and I was fine, but, but there was a moment when I was like 6th, 7th grade where I all of a sudden couldn't stop anything. Like I was always just okay, but then I became really bad. And even my parents were like, listen, Andrew, you, you're really bad right now. They didn't say it that way. They were very nice. But they were like, listen, you, you, you can't stop anything. And so what we did is we went to the optometrist, the eye doctor. And you know what they did? They put the thing right in front of me and, it, you know, Is one or two better? Better or worse? Maybe you've been there before where they put the thing in front of your eyes and they change all the gears and they're like, is that better or worse or no difference? And eventually what we realized is like, I really needed glasses. I needed contacts and glasses. And then sure enough, it brought me back to my average and my fine status, but I was no longer really bad. (laughs) But I needed to have my vision fixed. And I bring that up because that's what the disciples needed. They needed to have the right lens. They needed to have the right prescription to see the world, their lives, and the Scriptures in order for the pieces to get together because otherwise they're, they're confused, it's blurry, and it doesn't make sense. When I think about it like this um, as well. Um, I apologize for my... Yeah, if you want to go to the next slide there. Uh, I apologize for my handwriting. It is not good, but this is from, from my whiteboard. This really is the story of... The Scriptures. Starting on the left, you obviously have Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. On the very right, you have Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. Underneath, it talks about how in Genesis, God made everything. He created everything. At the very end, in Revelation, it talks about how God is remaking everything, the new creation, that that's the beginning and end of the story, and you have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in order to understand God's work in the, the, the world and in the Scriptures, Jesus says you have to have Him at the center, that you have to view it through the lens of his life. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Otherwise, you miss the whole point. And his life, his death, his resurrection is the center of everything. That's what those images, if you're wondering, what did you draw, Pastor Andy? It is a manger, cross, and a crown. Three words. Manger, cross, crown. You remember those three words, you know all that you need to about who Jesus is and he shows us through those three simple words who God is and it helps put things into focus. That Jesus is the God who comes into the manger, that he is present with us. That we have a God who does not stay on the sidelines but enters in even to the lowest of circumstances. We have a God who loves us. That's what the cross is all about. Now we can throw that word around, love, but oftentimes we talk about it and it's like, cotton candy. That's our view of love, but God's view of love, his action of love is the cross. Sacrifice. Laying down his life, and he lays down his life for you and me. And here's the thing about you and me and we, we are unworthy. We are undeserving, and yet what does God do? How does he show his love? As he sacrifices, he dies for the unworthy, for the unlovable. Jesus says, that's who I am, and that's who God is. You look at my cross, but you see his crown, and we see that he is not dead, but alive. That Jesus has risen from the dead. He has conquered your sin and your death. And that he is recreating all things. And so Jesus wants us to see that in his life, his death, his resurrection, and his manger, and his cross, and his crown, this is what makes this make sense. This is how we read all of Scripture, that everything is leading to that, everything flows from it. In order to look at your life, you look at that and realize that is what God is up to in my life is helping me grow deeper in his presence, his love, his power through Jesus. And without that, you're like me when I was in sixth grade trying to stop a hockey puck. You're just going to miss the point. But Jesus comes to open your mind. You know, the fancy word for this that theologians say is the word Christocentric, Christ-centered. We read the Bible with Christ at the center. We view our lives with Christ at the center. We view our world through the lens of who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he promises. And that's what Jesus opened his disciples' minds to. But Jesus does another thing that's very significant. He does one more thing that is significant but then unexpected. Jesus commissions and ascends. Here again, these verses from Luke 24. Picking up at verse 46, where again Jesus is saying, He said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He's saying, this is how you view everything in the Scripture, in your life, in the world, through my lens. But then he continues. He says... That repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then Jesus peaced out. He said, See you later and he became rocket ship Jesus, and ascended into heaven. Now, I told you there was something that he did that was unexpected, and in a sense, him ascending to heaven was unexpected for sure, but, but the thing that was unexpected was what he did before he left. You see, Jesus, in these words to his disciples, he emphasized this, that that message of who he is manger, cross, crown, that Christ has come as God in flesh to suffer, to die, to rise, to forgive, to love. That message is for you and for all people, and everybody needs to know it. And that that's what God has been up to all along, is that people would believe in Jesus, would trust in him, that that's God's mission from the very beginning. That was not surprising at all, What was surprising is Jesus said, that's your job. He looked at his disciples and said, you are my witnesses. Everybody needs to know about this. And you will tell them. And they were unexpected. That was unexpected that Jesus would say that to them, that you all, you're the way people find out. Like I think about uh, a couple years ago, there was a movie Jumanji. I'm not talking about the Robin Williams one; that was a handful of years ago. I'm talking like a couple years ago, the Jumanji movie with Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right, and Kevin Hart. Maybe some of you guys have seen that one. Uh, that version of the movie Jumanji is this group of people, this group of high schoolers, they begin to play a video game, Jumanji, and you know what happens to them? They get sucked into the video game. And now they're no longer playing with controller, looking at the screen. They are in the game. They are sucked in and they are not watching characters. They're not watching a thing. They're not bystanders. They're in the game. Think about that because that is what Jesus is saying to his disciples You, as my people, are not watchers, are not bystanders. You are witnesses. And what do witnesses do? They proclaim what they've seen and heard. And he says, that's what you're going to do. You are in the game. That people need to hear about who I am and what I've done. And the way that they're going to hear is through you. Through you simply sharing what you've seen and heard. Because that's really all that a witness is. And that was unexpected because because really they thought, man, Jesus is here. Let's just set up shop and have everybody come to Jerusalem. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus says that this will begin in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, and it goes out. That that's what my people do, is they go out and they proclaim. They don't wait. They go. And they share what they've seen and heard, all that I have done for it. Jesus is saying, You are in the story. And that this is how people will know who I am. And I think about that, and I think about the growth of Christianity and how unbelievable it is. Like, think about this for a minute. Jesus tells his disciples, commissions them, you are my witnesses, go and tell, be, be sharers of what you've seen and heard, and he leaves. You want to know how many people were there when Jesus talked to them? Less than the people in this room. That's it. You don't know how many buildings, how many churches they had built? Zero. They just had their homes that they, that they lived in. Some of them maybe didn't even have that. How many endowments did they have to help fund their ministry? Zero. What was their annual budget? What was their annual giving? Uh, They just had the money that they personally had in like their checking accounts, whatever that looked like back in the first century. That's all they had. What power or influence did they have? They had none of it. Remember who Jesus' disciples were. They were the outcasts. They were the overlooked. They were the sinners. They were the ones nobody listened to. And yet, they had all that they needed. Because what did they need? More than building, more than money, more than influence. You know all that they needed? Was his story. And telling it from one person to another and sharing what they had seen and heard. And you know what happened within the next 200 years? Millions of people said, I believe in Jesus. I am his witness. And it's been continuing ever since. That, frankly, is quite unbelievable. That's all it took was being a witness. And God's church grew. God's church is growing, because I know we're 2,000 years removed from this moment, 2,000 years ago, but I want to let you in on a little secret. God hasn't changed the game plan. The message he said to them 2,000 years ago is the same thing he says to you and me. Right now, in 2023, you are my witnesses, If you're here today and you you claim the name of Jesus, you believe in him, I want you to think about this question. Who is it that told you that good news? I imagine you have a number of people, maybe it was a parent, a grandparent, a family member, a pastor, um, someone, a good friend. Who was it that, that when you think about, this is the person that really opened up my heart and mind and showed me Jesus. Who is that person for you? So I think many of us can maybe think of one person that we're like, man, they spoke to me and they shared what they had seen and heard and it was powerful and it changed me. Who was that for you? Because if you're here today and you believe in Jesus, you had somebody, at least one person, tell you that Jesus loves you, that Jesus died for you and rose for you. Who was that for you? But I want you to think about the second question, too. Who are you sent to right now? Because whether you realize it or not, you are sent. God has people in your life that you know, that he's placed you around, that he says to you, you, yes, you, are my witness to them. Share what you've seen, what you've heard. Share the ways that God has been faithful in your life, in the big things and the small things. Share it. Share how God has answered your prayer. Maybe he's answered it yes, but maybe he's answered your prayer no, and you were maybe angry and bitter, and maybe you still are, but you've come to realize God is a lot smarter than you, and you know that he's still good. Share that story. Share the message of Jesus, and you feel like, man, this is a big book. How do I share that? I got three words for you. That if you remember three words, you've got the story of Jesus. Manger, cross, crown. Can you remember three words? I, I have faith in you. Manger, cross, crown, and you begin there and say, this is who Jesus is. This is who God is for you. He's present with you. He loves you. And he's right now in control, even though it doesn't look like it. But he's for you. Who is God sending you to? Who has God sent you to to share that story? May we follow the example of these disciples and may we realize that that we don't need all of the things of this world. We just need one thing. To share what we've seen and heard. And share it. I'll close with this last thought. Uh, Jesus, in his ascension, sometimes we think that Jesus is leaving us, is leaving us. He's departing from us. But really, he isn't. He is going to the right hand of God the Father, which, by the way, I don't know if you realize this, but, but that phrase in the scriptures, the right hand of God the Father, isn't necessarily about a location, it's about an authority. And it's saying this, Jesus is in authority right now over everything. And I pray that you take a hold of that truth, and maybe you're looking at something that you're afraid of, you're nervous about, or you know, Jesus, I know you're sending me to share and to be a witness in this situation, and I don't know what to say. I don't know how they're going to respond Take this truth that Jesus right now, the one who loves you, is in all power right now. And he is with you and goes before you and will work through you. Amen.